Book Guy is brought to you by Audible. Go to paulthebookguy.com slash audible and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. I'm Paul the Book Guy. We are back again, episode 21. My name is Paul Elfes, and with me this week, Greg the Book Guy Oct. Hello. Chris the Book Guy Jager. How you doing? Jim the Book Guy Phillips. Greetings and salutations. And I just won't say book guy just because I don't want to confuse the Jimmies. We got Sir Jimmy. Good evening. How y'all doing? I'm Good. Doing. I, I still say too many Jimmies. Sorry. <laughs> One oh, too many funny. Jimmies. That's, that's, that's funny. We got that email and my my wife, I was talking to her and I said, oh, look, uh, we're getting complaints. There's too many Jimmies on the show. She said, well, you ought to just go on the show anyway and just say, instead of Sir Jimmy, just have everybody call you Sir. There you go. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Just don't call him late for dinner. That's all. I get my son. I get my son Jimmy to jump on and join us. Oh no! Three gems would just cause a <laughs> rift in the uh, space-time continuum. Uh, what have you guys been uh, reading this week? Uh, it doesn't have necessarily be the the books that you're bringing to the table, but uh, Greg, anything this week? Anything new? I am so glad you asked me. I have a three hundred plus page tome that I received for Christmas this year from my mother-in-law. Uh, it is the illustrated or a visual chronicle of Star Wars year by year. Oh, that is cool. I, I really want to talk about it. It's phenomenal. All right. We'll definitely do that. And, um, For a second there, I thought you were going to get Rise and Fall of the First break. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I have to complain about that for about four weeks first? Uh, Jimmy, I think I'm going to send Jimmy the, the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich here that because uh, it would definitely fit a lot of stuff inside. But uh, I, I already got that one. I already yeah, got yeah. it. It's, it's hollowed out. It's on the website. Oh, Go kidding. and get it. <laughs> Excellent. I got two Hitler books on there right now. I tell you what, between having that and having uh, the Bible and the Quran hollowed out on there, I'm just looking for trouble. Those are definitely holy books. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Chris, anything new this week? Uh, I got a slow cooker for Christmas, so I got a the complete slow cooker cookbook. I'm going to just crack open tonight. <laughs> nice. You know what that is? That's uh, food and drink. Food and drink. Please, Chris, try a couple of the recipes and bring it back sometime. Absolutely. No question. Would love to hear it. Uh, Jim, anything? Uh, nothing new. Um, um Reading has fallen off a little bit lately. I'm still making my way through uh, my Shirley Jackson collection. So. Nice, nice. Uh, I just finished ReamD, and I don't know what I'm going to be reading next. I'm going through this uh, Big Meat app we'll talk about later. And uh, I'm going to start off, actually, with... What was that, Paul? That was Big Meat, as in uh, <laughs> M-E-E-T or M-E-A-T? What's, uh, what's that about? Uh, we, we, you know what? We'll leave it as a teaser for the folks. It'll be a little bit later in the show. It is M-E-A-T. But I'm going to start off with... Fiction. 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 So I just finished Reemd by uh, Neil Stevenson. And, uh, a couple of us are familiar with the work of Neil Stevenson. And uh, this one focuses on a, a world, uh, a, a virtual world. Kind of like World of Warcraft. Greg, you with me here? I'm with you. Uh, Stevenson, but this, Warcraft, we're good. <laughs> this one is called T-Rain. And and uh, it's kind of a play on words because or a play on uh, you know whatever because the this World of Warcraft uh, knockoff is uh, similar to World of Warcraft, but its basis is the terrain, the actual planet that it's built on is full of gold and silver and whatnot, and it's kind of like what World of Warcraft would be 
if the gold farming was built into the game and allowed, and if the currency was allowed to be traded for real money. Now, Greg, Greg can you help me out here and maybe explain to the people what, what Chinese gold farmers are? Oh, okay. Well, Chinese, uh, what happens is World of Warcraft, one of the best aspects of it is that it has a, a live economy. And what happens is uh, there are actual basic sweatshops where people in China will use all sorts of hacks or nefarious means to play the game and acquire gold, but then, then sell the gold for real world dollars. Right. Now, it, it, it's frowned upon in, in the actual World of Warcraft to actually right. exchange that gold for real dollars, uh, mostly for uh, legal reasons. And, they don't, that, they, and because most of the ways to get such high quantities or such large quantities of gold is by doing it by hacking or right. you know getting other people's accounts or by hacking into the game. So, bad, bad. So, in Neil Stevenson's book, uh, the gold is exchangeable for real money, legally, and uh, he builds it into the game. So, we start off in this fictional uh, game, and uh, there, in this game, there is a troll, an evil troll that lives in the mountains, and his name is Reem D, and he's an evil troll. So, what he does, and he actually is a Chinese gold farmer. Now, uh, in, in, in real life, there are Chinese gold farmers for World of Warcraft, and uh, what they do is, uh, there'll be groups of Chinese people that will literally sit in a room, play World of Warcraft to accumulate gold, and they will, uh, on the gray market, sell this gold to Canadians and Americans and people in the Western world for real dollars. And that's all a gray market because it's not really allowed by World of Warcraft. And, and if you're caught, you know, you, you'll get kicked off the game, whatnot. But in, in Neil Stevenson's book, it's all allowed. So uh, the troll, Reemdi, is a, a Chinese gold farmer, and he gets an idea. He... He puts together a little bit of an army inside the game T-Rain, and he takes over an area of T-Rain. And what he does, this Chinese hacker, is he creates a virus that infects people's machines who play T-Rain, which locks up all their personal data. And it leaves all it leaves them in their documents folder is a little file, and normally you have a readme file. This file says Reemdi, and that's Reemdi the troll. And it says, if you want your data back, you got to meet me in the so-and-so mountains in T-Rain and bring a thousand gold. So you end up with thousands and millions of players trying to fight their way into these mountains, carrying gold, you know, this virtual gold to get their freaking files from the computer back. So the story starts off at the fourth Rast reunion where the fourth Rast family is having a barbecue and shooting some guns in the field. Uh, Sir Jimmy, just kind of like your, your son and, and grandpa were shooting it off in the, in, you know, in the field, okay. shooting some squirrels. That's kind of what the, the book starts off with. And uh, Peter fourth Rast, who is the creator of Reemdi, uh, sorry, the, not the creator of Reemdi, the creator of T-Rain. He's basically the, the World of Warcraft CEO, now retired. You know, he, he's having a barbecue and whatever, and he meets his... Um, his niece Zula, and uh, they're having a good time there. And he meets Zula's uh, boyfriend Peter. And Zula and Peter have a little bit of an issue because Peter he's got a hold of some uh, credit card numbers, and he's selling them to the Russian mob. <laughs> this is where it all goes awry. So the Russian mob he's doing a deal with the Russian mob. He's kind of a hacker. The Russian mob, uh, you know, meets him, gets his laptop. They want to get the the you know the credit cards. All of a sudden, Peter's laptop 
gets hacked by the Reem D virus. So now you've got the Russian mob wants the files on Peter's laptop. He can't get them because the stupid troll, the Chinese guy, has locked them up. Now he's trying to explain to the Russian guy, look, I can't get your credit card numbers because a troll in the video game has locked them up, right? So this gets interesting. Now the Russians go nuts. Turns out the Russians go completely buck wild. Now they, they want to get a hold of uh, the guy who, uh, you know, uh, basically who, who screwed them. So the, the Russians are, are, are freaking out. They want their, their credit card numbers and it ain't happening. So uh, it ends up, this all he- uh, heads over to China. The Russians now head to China. So now you got the Russians mobsters. They head over to China to find the Chinese hackers who happen to live downstairs from a group of Al-Qaeda terrorists. With, now this leads to the inclusion of a British MI6 agent who is... Uh, who's watching this guy Jones, who's one of the Al Qaeda terrorists in China and hilarity ensues. Now I got to say, guys, I don't want to give much of this away, but, uh, you know, uh, Stevenson's last book was Anathem. And, uh, this is nothing like that. And it's nothing like his previous Baroque cycle trilogy. Um, he, you know, for those books, he invented a language. Uh, it got nuts. I mean, Anathem got into like uh, crazy quantum physics. Um, this was just a. This is Stevenson having a good time, and I mean, not as bizarre as Snow Crash, which uh, uh, Chris Jager t- turned us on to. Chris, the book guy. This sounds uh, like it's a, it's a throwback a bit to to Snow Crash. It does, but uh, Snow Crash was more uh, fantasy based and more uh, far out there. Where well, it this sounds like Neil's uh, coming back on some familiar themes. He's got like the black humor. Sounds like it's there, like he had in Snow Crash. Yes, he loves to he loves to mess around with the the dissimilarity and the similarities between the virtual and the real world. Uh, th- this one, although uh, it's more grounded in 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 reality, Chris. Sounds although like it's more grounded in reality, this one, yeah. Yeah, but there is that uh, suspension of disbelief. Of course, the, there's all these fluke coincidences. I mean, you know, you end up with a scene where there's like a, an MI6 agent fleeing for her life. You know, Al Qaeda terrorists shooting at Russian mobsters, Chinese hackers running everywhere, and it, you know, but but it's all based on reality. Uh, as you know, uh, ridiculous as it seems, uh, still think, yeah, closer exactly to Snow Crash. Looking for this is all happening in a virtual environment, but it's having real consequences. So he's always wants to say, what is the real difference between the virtual and the real? Yeah, I, I start it, the what it says on the on the can, what it says on the tin, is only valid for the first uh, act of this book. If, if you if you call it three acts, the other two acts, everything goes buck wild. <laughs> like it goes from uh, the story that's on the back of the book. All the way to the point where it becomes a Tom Clancy novel, you know, and and Neil Stevenson again surprising the crap out of me. Uh, I can never tell where he's going. I don't know if he's going Anathem route, if he's going Snow Crash. I can't wait to hear what he has next. And that's, uh, you know, that's really. I mean, the, the Baroque does cycle is a bit of a stinker. <laughs> does it seem like an extension of Snow Crash? Because I mean, Snow Crash when he wrote that this whole virtual world didn't exist. It was like, he didn't have a, a reality to write about. Right. When he wrote well, snow crash, there was no world of Warcraft. I mean, he, he was predicting, there wasn't really online identities either. When he wrote right. that, he was predicting yeah. world of Warcraft yeah. when he, when he wrote snow crash. Now the, snow, the world of Warcraft is there. He's, he's got a more grounded in reality. And then, you know what, as visionary as he was in snow crash, he takes the world of Warcraft in this one and extrapolates it, you know, 10 years into the future where the currency can be traded. And, and you know what, he just makes a good case that it's a bad idea to be able to trade, you know, virtual currency for money. Cause 
you know, eventually people will take advantage of this. Their hackers show up, you know, guys are forming armies in the virtual world to claim this gold and, and making, you know, there's mobsters going at it in the real world to stake claims to this gold. How does this relate to say something more? Not we keep referencing Warcraft, but is, would this be more akin to something like Second Life? Uh, you know what? It it would be, uh, although Second Life doesn't have any combat um, uh, mechanics in it. But it did have the real world. Me- yes, uh, the but, but world the, the whole thing is in, in Second Life. There's no way for me to beat the shit out of you and take your virtual money. Where in in this uh, T Rain, this fictional. Uh, I would say more of a World of Warcraft style virtual universe, you can beat the crap out of someone and take their money. So you have like mobsters, gangsters, Al Qaeda people all trying to take people's money in the virtual world where, yeah, you're right, Greg. It's, there's a lot of similarities with Second Life where the, the money can be exchanged for goods and services, as Homer Simpson once said. But um, uh, there's no way of actually uh, using brutality or violence in Second Life to uh, you know, to to take someone else's wealth, where in World of Warcraft you can, but that gold technically can't be exchanged for money. But in in Tyrain, you can literally uh, you know make a make a clan, beat the crap out of someone, and, and you know whack them over the head and take their money. Neil Stevenson's Reemdy definitely an interesting ride. It's a thirty eight and a half hour audiobook. Uh, I would imagine that the uh, like all his books, he he's even said. You know, his books are not conducive for, for movies. Uh, if anything, he even said that uh, he'd rather go the uh, George R.R. R. Martin route and, uh, and do a, you know, a, a long miniseries or, or, you know, television series. Uh, again, this one, not conducive of a book uh, to go to movies and film and television. Uh, a big tome, got to say. But it was really enjoyable. Another surprise from Neil Stevenson. I look forward to reading more of his stuff. Just, did, you, uh, did you read it or did you listen to it, Paul? Uh, I listened to this one. 38 and a half hours. <laughs> good times. The, uh, the, trend, the, 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 audio, the audio book was good. It was a, it was a good uh, rendition. Uh, fantastic. It was very well done. Uh, you had the voices. Uh, although I have to say, the audio book, there were times, I'm not going to mention the guy's name because <clears throat> I don't remember it, but uh, he, uh, there were times he confused uh, some, a Scottish accent and a Russian accent. So it kind of threw me off. And then the audiobook producer or the or the, the director didn't catch it, I'm sure, when they were recording it. And I was sitting there going, Well, why is this Russian why does this sound like he's from Scotland? You know? So they didn't catch that and it ended up in the final product. But I find, I had to go back and re-listen. And I was like, Oh, okay, they just screwed up he screwed up and did a Scottish accent, you know, instead of a Russian. But that's kind of things that the, the audiobook director should catch. But otherwise he did a great job with all the different voices. Uh, you know, from a black woman all the way to a Russian man to a Chinese hacker. Uh, very good. Very good job with the voice. Sir Jimmy, Jimmy, do you guys like to uh, read your books or listen to them? I prefer to uh, read my books. I usually read. I don't listen to a whole lot of audiobooks, but every now and again. Yeah. Okay. I love the way Chris said that. Hey, Jimmy and Jimmy. <laughs> and, You're not going to uh, ask me? I know, I know your preference. All right. <laughs> That's for everybody. I listened I just, in double I was time. silently pondering whether or not I wanted to go down the uh, start up with the with the books under glass discussion with uh, Jimmy and Sir Jimmy, but uh, maybe we can save that for another day. My my uh, my family got an iPad for Christmas, and uh, my wife, uh, my wife and my mother are both reading the um, what are we what are we the George R. R. Martin books, and they're what they're reading them on the Kindle app in like really big fonts 
So that's yeah, one thing that's, to say that's about one of the advantage the about, the, about the ebooks is is the really big fonts. Really big fonts. Yes, sir. And coming up next, I believe Mr. Chris, the book guy, Jager, has a book in this genre. Fantasy. Hey, speaking of uh, George R.R. R. Martin, um, it's been a while since uh, we've gotten together to talk about this. And uh, I guess maybe about a month ago, five weeks ago, I had just finished Dances with Dragons. So this is book, what, five? So it started with Game of Thrones, Clash of Kings, Storm of Swords, Feast for Crows, and then Dances with Dragons. Thousands and thousands of pages that I actually read. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to blame. I have to blame uh, Greg the book guy and Paul the book guy for getting me started on this. Uh, I watched just one of the TV episodes uh, and figured I'd pick up the book. And uh, you know what, Chris? we got to give the, all the blame to uh, Greg the book guy because he's the one who turned us all, all onto it. Okay. Then all the blame falls on you, Greg. All right, I'll take that blame. I've turned more people onto it. Uh, Greg, I gotta say, I love the TV show so much. Despite being one of the book guys, I saw that first season. I read the first book, which was the first season, and I am still waiting to read book two until the season two comes out. That's I know, I know, I, Chris couldn't, but I couldn't, and I still say okay. that you gotta, you gotta read this stuff. I, I, it is, it is much deeper, more textured. Uh, the characters are richer. But anyway, that aside, we all know that hey, 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 books are better than movies. Great, fine. Uh, the gyms. Are you guys uh, are you guys reading this? Are you watching this on TV at all? Do you have any familiarity with it? Uh, neither. I'm ignoring it completely. Okay. I'm also <laughs> doing my best to ignore it. You should okay. not, sirs. What, well, let me say this: that uh, uh, the the people who do read this and are our fans of this and who have not read you know this stuff, they are desperate not to know what has happened in books that they haven't read yet. Uh, please, folks, uh, plug your ears now. No, 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 no. I'm not giving anything away here because I appreciate that. Uh, I'm going headphones off right now. You are going ahead. You will listen to every damn word I say. Okay, let me say this. Uh, he carries on all the way through to the end of Dances with Dragons, so through all five books. Um, the Jims, the uh, Sir Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, the reason why we love these books is because no character is sacred. Like in these fantasy books, you always have like, you know, your super Jedi hero uh, and you can't kill him and you know he's going to survive. In dances, in, the, in these, the whole thing is called the Song of Fire and Ice, this whole thing. You, you don't know one day to the next who the hero is, who's going to die, who's going to survive. It's, it's completely unpredictable in that way. And for that, we love it. Uh, yeah, the world. I, I've listened to uh, Sword and Laser with Veronica Belmont and Tom Merritt, Great and they show. talk about this all the time. And they say, you know, I just totally got into this one character, and I went to bed, and I woke up the next morning, <laughs> and I'm reading it over coffee, and they killed the son of a bitch. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? He says, but after a while, you get used to it, but not completely. If for me, it really it, it 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 makes it for fresh reading, right? Because you, it, this is why this like I'm not a fantasy science fiction guy. I'm not a fantasy guy. I'm more of a science fiction guy, I guess. But I can't stand you know the conventions, and, and specifically in the in the fantasy genre. And George R. R. Martin blows them all apart. You know, the world is a cruel, merciless, and fickle place, right? There's no justice. Uh, there is there's no fair treatment. Uh, and when that does happen, it's the exception rather than the rule. Like there's no perfectly honorable hero, and there's and there's no, you know, the good guy doesn't always, right. uh, the, the bad guy doesn't always get his comeuppance in the end. Um, and the other fun thing about these books, man, is just, is the resurrections. <laughs> you, even after he kills somebody, it don't mean they're dead. It's oh like my a, It's like a soap opera then. I'm very much so. 
Chris, oh. you're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> I'm listening, oh, Chris. I got my man. ears peeled. Everybody will listen to every bloody word I say. So that you're right. You're absolutely right, Jim. It's it's like a soap opera. Now this is the big frustration that I've that I've come up with. Uh, so Storm of Swords. So sorry, Feast for Crows, and this last one, Dances with Dragons. Um, the the world is so complete and so huge and has so many plot lines and so many families and so many cultures and so many... It's just out of control. Yeah, uh, Chris, I'm sorry to interject, but you know, you ever see those crazy conspiracy theorists on, on TV show where they have the red string yeah. you know, with, with thumbtacks inside a big room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. George R.R. R. Martin, if you would did, <laughs> were to do that, he would need a gymnasium and he would need like eight colors of string or no oh, yeah. more. He need like 80 colors of string. Uh, just his... his his plots are so complex. It, it's unbelievable. You need a whole floor on an FBI, you know, <laughs> yeah. FBI agents to untangle this. Like, it is, it is just getting out of control. I was um, just reading and, that uh, George R. R. Martin was announced uh, USA Today Author of the Year. Yes, he was. I have to, I have to give him credit. I mean, this, this is a, this is a, a masterpiece work. But he's really, it's become completely self-indulgent. And this is the big problem. I spent like more than a thousand pages, maybe twelve hundred pages. The plot has advanced zero. He has done a whole crap load of foundation work for I don't even know what anymore. <laughs> like, I'm just, I am so lost, and I am so confused, and there's so many plot lines going on, and the world is so huge. Yeah. And at the end of 1,200 pages, nothing has really changed. <laughs> so, he still has go. two more books planned, right? So. And he has two more books planned. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, I believe there was an interview I saw with him, and he said that uh, it really is just one book, but uh, the yes. printing technology was not there to bind one book that big. <laughs> you can't bind a book this big. It is actually one story. It's one continuous story. As in, as in, like a one-story building. That's how high the book would be. <laughs> exactly. So, so there is my non-spoiler review of Dancing with Dragons, George R. R. Martin, and an update for. Uh, Jim and Jim on uh, the status of a you know multiple thousand page tome and George R. R. Martin, the American uh, author of the year. Uh, thank you, Chris. And you, you want you did a great job of making it uh, relatively spoiler free. So I, I have I have to ask. So if it is that complicated and has that many plot lines and is moving that slowly, is he going to be able to wrap that all up in two more books? Given the the the, the skill that he's exhibited thus far, he's got he's got something in his head. This is this is it. There's got to be some punchline. This is why yeah, I'm there has to reading be. this stuff, even though I'm so bored. <laughs> there has to be. And Mr. Phillips, uh, the 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 way it's going with the book to film and television is that uh, he's doing one book equals one season on HBO. So uh, we're Almost looking at word about for word too. nine or ten hours oh. of of television equals Greg, one you book. Trying to piss me off with that comment, weren't you? Hey, I'm going from my my sources. Both say that it's almost word for word from book to television. So, okay, vast I'm, swaths of the book have been removed, but that's a fine. We can leave that vast swaths. Vast swaths, huge tracks of the book. Anyway, don't make me call my wife. I I can deal with Candace. Candace and I might have to talk about this. <laughs> she misses you, anyways. You're too far away. There you go. You're too far in London, Ontario. I know this is far away. Well, we have gentlemen in uh, North Carolina right now. And then, uh, Mr. Phillips, where are you at? Uh, San, Diego. San Diego. So there you go. 
It's not too far. I just got back from San Diego, Mr. Phillips. Beautiful town. Love it. I stayed out of the Coronado. Oh, nice. Now, uh, we are at about uh, 26 minutes, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, Mr. Phillips is going to talk about his book, and then we'll get into some uh, book news. This is Gabrielle DeCure, the voice of Valentine in Ender's Game, and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Hi. Now that I've got your attention, I'd like to tell you about a great little podcast. Well, okay. It's called Seventh Row Center, and it's hosted by me, Alex the Movie Guy. I work for Kaiser Soze. Anyway, every week I get together with Weekly Animated's David Hickson. These men are the leaders of a terrorist organization wanted for the abduction of a little monkey. Well, no. We're movie opinionists who give our thoughts about films new and old. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! Check out our show. It's called Seventh Row Center, and it's part of the Bear Crawling Nation. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Hey, this is Jeff Smith, the guy who does all the jingles from thejeffsmith.com, and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Paul the Book Guy. And we're back again, and we have another book, another book review recommendation. Fiction. 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 Jim Phillips. Step up to the bat, my friend. How you doing? Can someone shake Jim? Sorry. Sorry about that. No, I'm just rambling on to my own muted uh, microphone here. No big deal. Shake him. Make sure he's awake. <laughs> okay, starting again. <laughs> Take it over. We don't edit anything, so. Very, very professional. <laughs> Hang on. You know what? We'll do like Rachel Maddow. Hang on. Hey, we're, we're experienced here. We're just... Do the page turns. I know Rachel Maddow's listening because she stole our page turns. <laughs> so, Jim, what do you got for this week? Uh, you always have some interesting books uh, that we don't bring to the table. What do you got? Uh, yes, unfortunately, uh, my book doesn't have a uh, Showtime television series or a uh, uh, you know modern video game tie-ins. Yet. Um, <laughs> yet. Well, let's hope not, anyway. Uh, yes, Martin Eden by Jack London. Uh, it was first uh, released, if you will, in 1908, uh, actually in serialized form, uh, over 12 months from September 1908 to September 1909, at which point uh, Macmillan collected it and released it as the novel we know and love today. Um, Jack London, of course, is uh, famous in the U.S. primarily for his uh, adventure stories, The Call of the Wild, Sea Wolf, White Fang, books like that. Um, Overseas, uh, particularly in Russia, he's much more famous for this work, for Martin Eden. Uh, it is generally accepted to be kind of a semi-autobiographical novel, and a lot of that comes through, especially in the uh, early part, but I'll get to that in a second. Because when i review reviewing this book, I actually like to go at it backwards, because this novel has one of the best uh, most emotional, most powerful, just amazing pieces of writing ever. Um, absolutely stunning. It is a bit depressing, I do have to say. Um, many people might know that Jack London, um, although you know he, his work that he's famous for is, you know, like Call of the Wild, very rugged individual. You know, guy goes into the Yukon alone, and you know 
has all the adventures and comes out on top and so forth. Uh, but in his personal life, uh, in his public life, if you will, outside of his writings, right. uh, he's very much a socialist, very strongly socialist. And he wrote Martin Eden as a an attack on individualism, and that really comes out in the ending. Um, the middle part of the book is uh, pretty good. What what the novel is about is it follows this gentleman named uh, Martin Eden, who is uh, a sailor, a uh, you know kind of a the poor working class, you know work hard during the day. You know, drink and carouse at night, rinse and repeat day in, day out. And through uh, some situations, he meets uh, this fairly well-to-do, kind of rich, upper-class family, uh, and especially uh, their young daughter, a gal named Ruth, who he just completely falls in love with. And so since he's in love with her, he decides that what he needs to do is to make himself worthy of her. So he, dis- so he you know, starts... Uh, basically self-educating himself. Uh, he starts going to the library and, he, and he's reading all these books and he's reading poetry and he's reading philosophy and he's doing all this. <clears throat> and as he's going along, he starts to really come into conflict with Ruth you know, because her kind, of persp- her kind of point of view on life is, you know, is very sequestered, is very rich, upper class. You know, this is the way it is and you know, you know, no one should be allowed to argue with it, but he's really gaining this education and you know, questioning a lot of things. He eventually starts writing, and this is where a lot of the, uh, autobi- the autobiographical elements of the book right. comes in. Um, he starts writing some poetry. He starts writing some fiction. He starts writing some uh, nonfiction, you know, tales of his life at sea and that sort of thing. Uh, and just getting rejected left, right, and center. That eventually turns around, and he becomes just incredibly successful, but then that leads to the ending, which I'm not going to spoil because everyone should go out and read this book if you don't already know how it ends. We definitely uh, try not to spoil books here. Yeah, we try not to, Jimmy. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, there is a uh, downside to this book, and that downside is about the first third. Uh, because in the first third of the book is Jack London describing Martin Eden, and it's incredibly clear and totally obvious that Martin Eden is who Jack London wishes he could be. Right. (laughs) He is almost the perfect man. He's big, he's strong, he's fast, he he gets into fights and always wins. He, uh, He picks up a book of philosophy and a lot of it's authors it, like it, that, they either write about their 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 more perfect self or their evil self. You know, yeah, like Stephen King is, will write about you know the evil version of him that chops people up, and uh, yeah, someone like him would uh, London would uh, you know write about his uh, kind of like the Greg you were saying a couple of episodes ago about uh, the uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo series. Yes, uh, it's it's like uh, he wrote the yep. main character to be his perfect self. Right. Yeah, very much the same thing with Stig Larsson writing about uh, Blomkist. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much. It's, yeah. it's it's his idealized self, and at, as a result, the first about third, maybe the first hundred pages or so, really drag on because you right. just get to the point. That, I don't care. It's too. <laughs> I don't care. Let me get past that. Once you get past this, the book really kind of picks up and right. really becomes a, a a really good introspective look at. You know this character, and at uh, you know his 
struggle to escape his class and make himself better than you know better than he was better than he thinks he can be and, you know how the <clears throat> the, the the upper class that he's trying to get into, you know, kind of looks down on him and says, "Well, you're just, you know, that worker. You could never be up here where we are." And you know, everyone kind of down where he is is looking at him and saying, "Why would you want to go up there? You know, they're all a bunch of snooty people. You know, you should just stay down here where us with us and have fun." And right, it's it's just an amazing amazing book once you get past those first hundred pages. There you go. So is it was it more a political Sounds book awesome. or more a philosophical book? Uh, more philosophical. Uh, actually, the the politics of it, as as I said, you know, Jack London himself said, you know, that he wrote it as, you know, an attack on individualism. Uh, however, uh, where is that? Somewhere I have that. I had that written. I had that just a second ago. Um, he, uh, in a letter that he wrote to Upton Sinclair. Uh, he kind of questioned whether he was successful or not in that, uh, but I can't find that quote now. Sorry. I guess the, the time that he wrote it, uh, it would have been about the turn of the century. Yes. And uh, socialism would have been definitely rising in, in Europe. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that would be uh, – I was wondering if it was more philosophical than political. No, very much more philosophical. More philosophical. Uh, here it is. Um, quoting Jack London, one of my motifs in this book was an attack on individualism in the person of the hero. I must have bungled, for not a single reviewer has discovered it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's true, you know, it, because you know Martin Eden really does come across as you know, a Superman who has who is you know, really kept down and has all sorts of difficulty. Eventually, breaks through it and becomes amazingly successful. But then, the end of the book in how he deals with that success and how he. What happens to himself and his relationships really is an attack on individualism. It's, it becomes, you know, yes, he did, yes, he can do all this. Yes, he did all this, but look at what it did to him. Because it does sound like classic American exceptionalism, you know, manifest destiny and uh, you know, expansion of the West. Uh, yep. But there is a there is a uh, there is a strong punchline, strong uh, strong anti individual message in the end. Yes. Wow. Well, you really. Uh, Lay out the teaser there for us, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and that is uh, Martin Eden by Jack London. Yes, indeed. And uh, we're going to move on, gentlemen, because it is time for... Book News. Now, Greg, we haven't had time to consult before. I know you're the big book news guy. I have a couple of items. I don't know if you have anything there on your side there and written on your scratch pad. I have some things. I'm still using... Uh Evernote, if anybody wants. To <laughs> yeah, we should probably all consult on that this week. Uh, you know, seeing as we might go on a live thing next week. Um, Use your account. <laughs> uh, I, I've got some uh, podcast-related news. The Krampus: A Christmas Tale by Scott McKenzie, which was on the Paul the Book Guy stream story, I narrated with Little Maya Santos, with original music by Sir Jeff Smith and album art by Phil Ives, written by Sir Scott McKenzie. Uh, it's going to be released very soon on iTunes, Audible, Amazon, and dozens of other stores for only 99 cents. Of course, we're not expecting too many sales until next Christmas, uh, but it will be under the uh, No Agenda Records label. Sounds great. Just saying. <laughs> that's definitely book news. Yeah, that's, that's definitely book news. That's good for you two men. <laughs> and, uh, I had, uh, if anybody's interested, I've noticed that this 
week that you still have a lot of Boxing Day sales, a lot of things, uh, a lot of book, yeah, bookstores still Yeah, I think, Greg, in their, general uh, this year, there, there's a lot of stuff that's uh, yeah. just still on sale from last year. <laughs> I'm looking at things that are 60 70% off. I, I saw mm-hmm. the Steve Jobs biography for $16 at Costco. Nice. Um, all those books that you like, the uh, Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, uh, Dawn of yeah, the Yeah, all the mashups. And, yeah, the mashups, Android Karenina, they were all for like four dollars. I think they were five ninety nine at Cole, not Coles, uh, Barnes and Noble chapters, chapters, chapters. Nice. So yeah, they've, if you're looking for for book deals right now, you might want to just stock up because the bookstores are offering some amazing discounts right now this week. And uh, go out and get yourself a mitt full of books and and uh, you prepare yourself for the for the upcoming year, a lot of great uh, books on sale right now. That's what I was, I was going to say. I was uh, amazed at some of the discounts that are out there. Nice. Like, uh, come on, the Steve Jobs biography for $16 was. Yeah, it's pretty in decent. Ha- in hardcover. In hardcover, that's good. If yeah. I was going to say, if that's the ebook price, it's kind of high because uh, we're going to have a, an, uh, an author on in a, in a week or two. Uh, who had to drop his ebook price to like four ninety nine from from nineteen ninety nine, and you know his he, sales have skyrocketed. He demanded it, didn't he? Yeah, he absolutely did demand it, and, and uh, he'll he'll be on soon. And he, I just saw him. I was watching uh, George, what's his name, Papalapalopoulos? Strombolopoulos. Yeah, George Strombolopoulos. I'm just I'm just, I'm just funning you, George. I'm just funning George. But George Strombolopoulos' show, uh, he was on, and. Uh, yeah, and and he basically demanded from his publisher drop my price from twenty two ninety nine to you know a reasonable price of you know four to six ninety nine whatever, and and you know his sales skyrocketed of course, uh, yeah, and he's going to be on and talking about his book and actually his book is fantastic. I won't even tease it, but his book is really interesting and I can't wait to read it before uh, actually interviewing yeah. him. I want to read that one as well. You're telling me about that one today. <laughs> yeah, sex bombs and bur- and uh, sex bombs and burgers, my friend. Sex bombs and burgers. Yep. The three, uh, you know, uh, industries that have created all the technology in the last seven years. I've got the Amazon's top 10 of 2011 here. Uh, I'm just going to quickly, are always good. Quickly read them off. Uh, number 10, Mockingjay, the Hunger Games book three by Suzanne Collins. Number nine on Amazon, George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones four book box set. Uh, so he hasn't, that was just the four books when he had the set there. Number eight, Go the Fuck to Sleep by Adam Mansback. Uh, number s- Yeah, good for him. No kidding. 99 cents. Look at him. Seven, Inheritance. Uh, Inheritance Cycle Book 4 by Christopher Paolini. Number six is Unbroken, a World War II story of survival, resilience, and redemption by Laura Hillenbrad. Number five, The Hunger Games by Susan Collins, the first in the series. Number four, Strengths Finder 2.0 by Tim- Tom Rath. Uh, number three, Diary of Wimpy Kid, Cabin Fever by Jeff Kinney. Oh, um, my daughter has that one. <laughs> yeah, a kid's book. Two, Heaven is for Real, A Little Boy's Astounding Story of His Trip to Heaven and Back by Todd Burpo and Lynn Vincent. And of course, gentlemen, as predicted, number one, Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. And that's the uh, the top list from Amazon. Kind of makes sense. Yeah, and I've got some tip before we go into anything else. I've got a tip for anyone who bought a Kindle Fire. I know there's been a lot of uh, Kindles under the tree this year. Uh, ebook readers are huge. We're huge this Christmas. Um, the Kindle Fire. I've still. Uh, I'm still saying it's not going to be an iPad killer, 
but it, it's a decent machine. Uh, although it's had some problems in its initial release and, and, and just like the iPad had and the iPhone had it, this will all be fixed folks with an, uh, a software update, but in the current iteration of the Kindle software for the Kindle fire, um, there's an issue with the browser, the web browser that's, it is slow as molasses. And, uh, we've got the fix for you here right now. Paul, the book guy, uh, grab your Kindle fire. We'll wait. Do you have it yet? Still waiting. No. You have it. You got it. Okay, hang on. All right, you got your Kindle Fire. Oh, hit pause. Jeez, we can't wait forever. All right, now hit the menu button at the bottom of the screen. Hit the settings button. And now find the following options. And the first option that's going to, you know, make a miracle, miracle of difference here is uh, the enable plugins, turn it to off. Uh, Mostly this will disable flash, which is the biggest culprit for slowing down the Kindle Fire to a crawl. As soon as you disable Adobe Flash, plug-in, your Kindle Fire is now usable as a web browser. Uh, Second one that's going to really speed up your Kindle Fire is the Accelerate Page Loading feature slows down web page loading. (laughs) So uncheck that. This feature simply does not work in its current iteration. No, that was a disappointment. They really wanted that room to kind of (laughs) like uh, going to be kind of like social... Social yeah. browsing. Well, it was yeah. Social it was supposed to go almost. through their server and speed up the loading of the web page. Apparently, it slows at like eight hundred percent. So turn that off for now. It's a feature they're working on. It'll probably work the next time they update the Kindle Fire. For now, turn it off. And if you want a little bit more speed, you can switch the desktop or mobile view to mobile. That's the third set. You don't have to do this one because uh, some mobile sites look nothing like the desktop site. So you don't have to switch this third one, but it does help. Uh, but definitely turn the enable plugins off. Disabling Flash is the best call you'll make on your Kindle Fire. And now your web browser will be usable. And that's your uh, public service announcement today from the Paul the Book Guy show. I hate to do this, boys. I'm having so much fun, but I've got to, uh, I've got to check out of this, uh, this podcast. <laughs> you just got to pull the parachute cord, my friend. Yes, I'm going to pull the cord right now. Uh, pleasure talking with everyone and looking forward to next week's show already. Hasta la vista, baby. Take care, Chris. Take it easy, man. Peace. Adios. Yep. Bye-bye. Adios, mofos. Did any of you guys see uh, any movies over the holidays? I went and saw, as promised, uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo on the first night. Oh, hang on. Oh, no. Wrong. Oh, hold on. Books on film and television. There you go. I was kind of hoping that I'd have Chris around for this one because he did. (laughs) There's There's a particular reference that we made when we were discussing The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And he called this book uh, something about a, a ice filled, filled snow cave. Ice filled snow cave. That's right. <laughs> well, anybody see the movie? Uh, I I only I've still only seen the original. Yep, me too. Okay. In Swedish. This is, this is okay. I'm gonna. Here's my review of it. I know we're running out of time here. We're coming close to the one hour we're mark. Good, so we're good. We're good. Let me just say, if, if you like the book, you should like the movie. It was. Uh, a, Probably one of the closest adaptations I've ever seen. I know that the the grognards behind me, and I'm going to call them uh, the grognards. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start off with Captain Kiki and the Giggly Twins. But other than that, um, they were they apparently were disappointed that you know he didn't have sex with as many women in the movie as he did in the book. Big deal. It didn't really doesn't affect much or anything it doesn't but change talk- the the storyline does it no it doesn't doesn't change the storyline actually makes it more believable i think 
What made it more believable for me was the idiot with the thermostat turned it down to like I'm gonna go with <laughs> Celsius's. Are you kidding? They actually like like, like made the theater colder. <laughs> I had to wear a jacket in the theater. It was so cold in the theater. I was like, this is ridiculous. It was like smell-o-vision, but with the temperature. You know, actually, if you're listening, uh, Greg, in the background, that is the uh, the immigrant song. I bought that as well. Ah, nice. And that is uh, that's another thing I want to say about the movie. Uh, anybody who just go see the movie, if you don't want to actually go watch it, just go watch the opening sequence. They do the immigrant song and the most incredible. Uh, CG graphics. <laughs> awesome. The opening credits are absolutely amazing. You know, I, I did look into the immigrant song, and uh, it was written by Robert Plan of Led Zeppelin, of course. Uh, but apparently, he was in Reykjavik, uh, Iceland, as a guest of the Icelandic government as he was starting one of his tours. So he wrote the song actually about Iceland, not about Sweden. Just saying. <laughs> Little trivia for there, folks. There you go. Um, last thing I want to talk about, and this is something that uh, the Dictator trailer came out this week. Oh, I really, I, 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 well, I got to see you, it right now. Paul, <laughs> you, I, I'm, I'm very surprised and disappointed that you haven't seen this already. Uh, Jim, are you aware of this uh, phenomenon here? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. Uh, the Dictator is the life and times of Saddam Hussein. It's a comedy. Uh, it is being, <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, this is the new one from. Uh... <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen. Sasha Baron Cohen, yes. No, so, I, I, I avoid him. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say, Paul, go to the Apple trailers and watch it, and I'm not gonna tell you why, but there's a point in the trailer where I fell off my seat. It's just it is so perfectly okay. you and I. We have to go see this movie. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll do. We'll do. But uh, if you're interested in, in a comedic look at uh, the dictator uh, go check that out, everybody. Uh, he just, he's just a man who wanted to lovingly oppress his country. Lovingly oppress his country right. for so many years. And we got news for uh, Superman, Man of Steel, uh, comic books here. Uh, coming to theaters June 14th, 2013. Now, one of the interesting things I've been looking at all the uh, the stuff here, trying to find some news, and I couldn't really find any, but it looks like they're doing a remake of the... Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember which Superman movie it was, the one with uh, General Zod and his minions. Superman uh, 2. Uh, Superman 2, is that the one where he lost his powers and Zod yeah. and all them came? So th- there's been sightings of um, uh, him looking uh, kind of disheveled, wearing a beard. And, uh, you know, wearing uh, dirty clothes and looking like, uh, you know, a weak human. And uh, there's been, uh, you know, already sightings of General Zod and his minions. So it looks like they're doing a, a remake of, of uh, Superman 2 for this one. Yeah. So it looks That's... like it's a combination Superman 1 and 2 being remade as a single movie elements of that yeah that's that's the rumor going around speaking of uh super superheroes did anybody watch uh, anderson cooper uh on the new year's you mean anderson vanderbilt vanderbilt uh, pooper no i don't really watch him yeah well he you know his something. mom is vanderbilt right i understand that okay we've discussed this <laughs> He did something for his New Year's show that I don't think anybody else on the face of the planet would ever do. And he actually got himself harnessed up in the Superman Turn Off the Dark. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark rig and got flown around the set. That's almost like playing Russian roulette. 
No kidding. I was I was looking up. I was expecting him to fall and break his head. Like it was, I was thinking, what insurance company actually allowed him to, to get hurt? No kidding. Stuff? It definitely wasn't the one from the Broadway uh, musical. No <laughs> like, you know what? Hey, Greg, uh, hey CNN, can... I've got this great idea. We're gonna we're gonna yeah. hook up your one of your best anchors. What do you say? Uh, no. <laughs> no Speaking you. of Broadway musicals, completely unplanned, folks. Uh, the Notebook, uh, the book uh, which has uh, you know been turned into a movie, is uh, also going to become a Broadway musical, and we'll uh, talk a bit a mo- bit more about that next week. But uh, uh, the Notebook becoming a Broadway musical as well, although with less harnesses than uh, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. I must say. <laughs> so are you going to update the jingle then, Paul? I will. <laughs> Books on film, television, and stage. Burks on film and Broadway. Television stage. Oh, that'll work. I can do that. A uh, little bit more of uh, book news here. Uh, from uh, Christmas, uh, a lot of people have been getting e-readers for Christmas, and uh, they're now sitting at home with them. And um, a lot of them now, come the 2nd of uh, January and the 3rd, they're realizing that they're having some issues with these e-readers, including uh, downloading books from libraries. Flipping pages like this is starting to look more like this. Kyla Birkin has made the move. She got a Kobo Touch e-reader on Boxing Day and has already downloaded a bunch of her favorite books. I got all the Shopaholic books. I really like those. And I also got The Help because I saw the previews for the movie, so I really want to read the book. And so to go back a page, you'd press this side. She's also adjusting to the many features her e-reader comes with. Um, you can change the size of the text, which is really good because a lot of the books come out with really small wording. And you can also flip it to read it this way or you can read it this way. The reader also remembers the page you're on, how many hours you've spent reading, and it can also hold thousands of books. But despite the benefits, Birkin is still having a hard time borrowing books online. I did try to download some off the library, and it said that you could download them onto this device, but however, they're not working. You'll go to our ebook and audiobook catalog. And Birkin is not alone. This librarian says e-readers can be confusing. We have dozens of calls every day right now um, because so many people are, have gotten e-books for Christmas. She says the main issue is getting used to the new technology. It's very challenging for people because uh, there are so many different kinds of devices. Um, it's not just uh, one type of device. The library website has details on how to use all the different types of e-readers, but she says the Amazon Kindle and the BlackBerry Playbook don't work with her library's system. Bender also says borrowing an e-book is similar to borrowing an actual book. There are only so many to be checked out. Bender says before getting started, it's a good idea to check out the library's website to make sure that your e-reader is compatible with their system. If you're still having trouble, you could call the library for help or you could come in for a private tutorial. Joanna Dragici, CBC News, Regina. Now, the most important thing in that whole story is if you go to buy, before you buy an e-reader, if if going to the library is important for you, if that's a big part of your, your reading life, uh, consult with your library before you buy one. Make sure it's compatible. Uh, now I'm sure that the Kindle Fire and all these other devices that are complete, uh, you know, incompatible with some of the libraries now, you know, in a couple of months they're going to be compatible. Like they're, yeah. they're the libraries are going to have. Like Greg, you were saying today. Sorry, I'm just banging the microphone stand, but um, you were saying today that you know they're going to have to eventually be compatible, and they will. But if you want to save, you know, four months of not being able to read your library, talk to them. You know, go go see them before you buy one. Yeah. Uh, it's- but at what point in time does it become incumbent for the 
libraries to catch up with the companies. I think it should be the other yeah. way around. There should be there should almost no, be, you know what, Greg, a, a none of this should be a problem. None of this should be a problem. There should be no third party, there should be nothing. The EPUB format, which is a standard, if there's no DRM on it, it should all be okay. Yeah, but there is a form of DRM on these. They only have a certain amount of digital copies to distribute. They're, it's not the it's not the rights. It's the distribution. Right. I well, mean, you, you the, see, you see, that's the whole thing. The DRM thing is is, is is stupid, because I can either go to my library and get a DRM'd version, or I can go to Pirate Bay and get one I can keep and delete it when I'm done. Yeah, I think so, that's what they're going to end up doing. You're going to they're going to have to create a bunch of patient, yeah. very patient people, or you're going to find people who are you know, going to look to alternatives like uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Pay. I mean, and it's it's just just get the DRM out of there, folks, and it makes it so much easier to buy and download. There was no DRM on cassette tapes when we were kids, Greg, and we still bought cassette tapes. Cassette tapes are an interesting item in Canada, though. You do realize that a portion of every blank cassette that you purchased went to the uh, CRTC or uh, Canadian recording agencies. Well, you know what? But still, I still bought a lot of cassettes that were silk screened at the factory. That's true. Like, uh, you know, I could copy them, but it was too much hassle. I'd just rather pay the $8 to Van Halen. It's going to iron <laughs> itself out. It's going, it's yeah, going to iron to. itself out. If not the, the, the individual municipalities fixing their apps, it's going to be a third party coming in and, and yeah. uh, working on something like that. Yeah, yeah, let's let's hope so. Our our library here, our, the San Diego County Library, uh, which we make extensive use of, uh, does have a ebook download option, uh, but their catalog is incredibly limited. It's right. just pathetic yeah. what's on there. Yeah. Um, the the one book that I found on there that I had any marginal interest in reading, you know, I stuck my name on the wait list for it and it, it took like three months <laughs> and that's the funny thing uh, Jim why and, do you have to be on a waiting list for a digital file <laughs> and, and, and then and then of course the, the system they use is, I forget the name of the company that does it it's you know the library do, itself doesn't do it they're you know contract that out to some third party and the third party uses the um, uh, it's not EPUB it's uh, the Adobe Reader whatever that PDF or PDF? No, 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 no! Oh, come on, guys, give me a break. PDF would be it's great. A P, it's not a PDF file. <laughs> there, it's the that Adobe Desktop software that you have to you have to run an, an Adobe Desktop software to, software to unlock it. Yeah, I don't run that, so I don't. Uh, know digital editions. <laughs> digital editions. Really? Wow. Yes, and then that allows you to unlock it, and then you can get it. And supposedly you can then transfer it. From Dear to authors, the of your choice. If you can, if you can hear my voice. Do not release your books as Adobe Digital Editions, because yeah, Paul and, the book guy and Greg the book guy have no fucking idea what that is. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm a pretty technologically savvy guy, and I could not get the thing to work. I, I still have not been able to read that. Thing. That's got to be great for sales for authors, folks. EPUB, no DRM. Go to Smashwords, put your book up, no DRM, and it'll pump out to iTunes. It'll pump out to Amazon. No DRM. <laughs> but why? Okay, why are we so anti-DRM? It's not the fact that this because DRM, Greg, you know what? The fact, if tomorrow it's the, fact it, that the third parties no. are, haven't established a, a reasonable way for to distribute these. If my iPad breaks tomorrow and I want to buy a Kindle across the platforms, no. If I, my iPad breaks tomorrow and I don't want to buy another one, I want to buy a Kindle. 
I want to get all my books onto my Kindle. If my Kindle breaks and I, and a zoom, zoom, zoom comes out and I buy the zoom, 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 I want my books on the zoom, zoom, zoom. If Microsoft comes out with a zoom again, a zoom book reader, and I, and I break my zoom, 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 and I want to put my books on my, my new zoom reader, I want to bring my books over. <laughs> Did you say zoom reader? I said zoom, zoom, zoom to the zoom reader. Uh, <laughs> but the whole thing, zoom. Greg, I mean, if I can no, move I'm my books around from device to device, I'll buy more books. If my, my books are, are locked into a, a Kobo, then, you know, it, it's stupid. I mean, you should be able to take the books that you bought and move them anywhere you want. Just like now, I can put all my books in a box and move to an apartment and, and take all my books with me. Where we're with, talking, exactly. So just we're buy your paper the books and you can take them wherever you want. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about the library distributing books onto your device. And I'm saying it shouldn't be the library's responsibility, and nor should the library be just be giving out a, a, a hundred thousand copies of, of all of their books. They have to have a limited amount of books that they can release in digital distribution. They're not Pirate Bay. They're the library. Right. And the, their interest is in... Uh, paying the authors their fair due, which I'm sure you agree with as well. So when we're talking about the library, the library has to have a controlled system for distributing these so that the people who are responsible for creating the content get adequately compensated. Then, then I won't use it. Th- that's your prerogative. That's But right. that's the library. That's the whole essence of the library. They purchase a book. I'll buy a book. Get out to people. Right. But the li- we're talking about the library. The library purchases a book; they distribute it to people. The the digital copy is no different than the paper copy. Only you're, it's supposed to be more convenient for you to, per- to bring it. Right. The issue right now is it's not convenient for you to download it. That has to change. Okay, well then the library can make a, a digital copy that could expire, uh, that would go on every device. I mean, these guys, they have to work something out because, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to buy a 1799 uh, ebook. That that I can't use on any other device. I'd rather wait a month and buy the hardcover for four ninety nine. You know, but we are running out of time, gentlemen. <laughs> gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for joining. I'm Paul the Book Guy. I'm Greg the Book Guy. I'm Jim the Book Guy. This is Sir Jimmy. Have a good evening or morning or night or whatever. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. All the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time, same book channel.